Well, good morning. We are still walking this morning with Paul and with Timothy in our series that we've titled Letters from the Pastor. Again, we've already seen Paul's words to Titus, his words to Timothy already in 1 Timothy, and now we find ourselves in the midst of 2 Timothy, and I hope that by now we are all beginning to pick up on the theme of how the gospel plays a central role in every aspect of our lives. You know, in thinking about the gospel and the role that it plays, it's in times like the ones that we are now finding ourselves in that we need to find ourselves more and more immersed with the gospel, more and more immersed in the very word of God. You see, we're at a point now where we need to ask questions like, what does the word of God say about how the believer should respond to COVID-19 in our present pandemic What does the word of God say about how the believer should respond to the importance of church and with that the importance of church membership? What does the word of God say about how the believer should respond to our current political climate and what should be important to us as believers? You see, this will continue to be an important question for all of us as we as believers as we continue to walk through 2021 together. And the reality is we have a choice that we need to make. And it's a daily choice if we begin to think about it. You see, we either need to choose to stay in the word of God and follow what it is that God has commanded us according to his word, or we can begin to follow what the world thinks and what our media outlets tell us we should think. You see, in our text today, Paul addresses the importance of preserving and passing on the gospel and how we as believers must prepare to endure in the grace of God for the cause of spreading the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. So like Timothy and like the church at Ephesus, we need to learn how to now live with gospel endurance. So if you have your Bibles and I hope you do. I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy. We will begin reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And once you have found your place in the word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, this is Paul's words to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, more importantly to Timothy personally himself. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, you then my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to to just simply be able to focus on your word and your truth. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the calling that you've placed upon each of us. Father, we recognize that we live in the midst of uncertain times, but by your grace, according to your word, within your power, you have called us to endure for the gospel. So, Father, as we've already worshipped you in song, as we've worshipped you through the reading of your word, Father, we pray that in these next few moments that you would be glorified through the teaching of your word. And so, Father, may we listen and hear and gain a better understanding of who you are and who we are in you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you are sovereign God, that you alone hold all things. And so, Father, now we pray that you would prepare us for your truth. And may you alone be glorified. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. Now, Father, we pray that your name would be lifted up. For it is in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we get into 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is actually going to give us a, a number of metaphors for Christian ministry. However, within our own passage today of verses 1 through 13, the focus will be on gospel endurance. And through this gospel endurance, Paul is going to give us three images in order to illustrate the point that he wants to make about living with gospel endurance. We're going to see the image of the good soldier, the image of the athlete, and also the image of the hard-working farmer. Now, each of these images or illustrations convey the idea that the believer is to work hard, to be disciplined, to live with endurance, and to be patient in suffering. So with each image, we are going to be given a sense of the intense nature that comes with serving God in and through Christian ministry. You see, serving the Lord is not always going to be a walk in the park. It requires work. Serving the Lord requires effort. Serving the Lord will be a constant and daily war that lasts the entirety of our lives. So as Paul continues to write to Timothy, I want us to pay careful attention today to his continued emphasis on the gospel. You see, because of God's call to now pass along the gospel, we as believers today must be willing to endure whatever it is that may come our way as we stand boldly for the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, because of the hope we see, the hope that we now know in the gospel we as believers can rest in knowing that we can and we are able to endure. So today I want us to take a look at four callings to gospel endurance. The first we can see is that in order to be called to gospel endurance, we are obviously called to live the gospel. We see this back in verse 1. Now, Paul opens here by referencing back to the previous section when he says the word you then, or many of your translations may say therefore. 
Here, Paul is calling Timothy to resist the trend of the previous bad examples that he mentioned and rather to follow or to focus on the example of the good leader that Paul mentions previously. He then goes on to say, you then be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew and understood that if Timothy was going to endure, he would need to abide day by day, dependent upon the grace that comes from his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now notice what Paul doesn't tell Timothy here. He doesn't tell Timothy to be strong in himself, nor does he tell Timothy to put on his big boy pants and prepare to go to war for now you are on your own. Rather, Paul tells Timothy to be strengthened inwardly by the grace of God that is found in Christ Jesus. So you see, for the believer today, we cannot simply live out our call to live the gospel apart from the strength that we can now have and find in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now for us today, this should be one of the most refreshing things to hear because you see, this was actually one of the most refreshing things that we find when Paul writes. You see, Paul constantly emphasizes God's grace throughout his writing. In fact, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul teaches us that Christ's grace is sufficient in our weakness. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul tells us there that we are who we are by the grace of God. So if we were to ask the question, how did Paul manage to endure while living the gospel, we can safely answer from Paul's own words that he lived the gospel and endured living the gospel by the grace of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if Timothy was going to endure in ministry, if Timothy was going to endure in the continued work at Ephesus where he would be called, then it would have to be done only by the grace of God that is found in the strength that comes from Christ Jesus our Lord. So now we have to ask ourselves, how do we endure today? Well, our answer is the same as Paul and the same as Timothy. We endure by the grace of of God that is now found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, our strength to live the gospel is not in how long we have been Christians. Our strength in the gospel and endurance is not found in how much we know of the Bible. It's not found in how long we have been in ministry, nor is it found in how long we have served in particular areas of ministry. Rather, I would argue at this very moment, our strength is found in the grace that comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, our strength as believers today begins with our union with Jesus Christ and it continues by our daily communion with Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself today struggling or if you find yourself feeling weak today or you find yourself dealing with difficult children or difficult grandchildren or dealing with difficult situations, if you come today fatigued or discouraged or you've been dealing with betrayal or illness, then may I encourage you to remember that there is a fountain of grace that is found in Christ Jesus. You see, we would do well to remember the prayer of Jehoshaphat when he prayed in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. He says, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
You see, the Christians who are making an eternal difference, the Christians who are living the gospel in this world have learned to rely on the strength that only comes from God. They recognize that it is God's strength that compels them to do the work that they have been called to. It is not their own strength that they rely on. You see, they understand that God's presence in us supplies us with all that we will ever need in order to endure. You see, it's because of God's strength, because of God's presence in us, within us, we now have what it is that we need to live the gospel. Paul then gets to his second point or his second calling for gospel endurance. He says that in order to live with gospel endurance, we must also now realize that we are called to now pass on the gospel. We see this in verse 2. Now, in picking up with this previous theme from the last week in guarding the gospel, Paul now tells us that we are now called as believers to pass on the gospel. Now, Paul obviously did not make up the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Rather, we know and recognize, just as Paul does, that this message was given to him by Jesus. And so now, coming back to our text, Paul says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of of many witnesses. Paul now is speaking of the people who along with Timothy have now heard the gospel according uh, from Paul and heard how Jesus Christ has changed the life of Paul. And so now Paul is encouraging Timothy to pass on this gospel message or better yet to speak of what it is that he has now heard. Paul then tells him to entrust this message to faithful men. In other words, he's now calling Timothy to pass on or to commit this gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others. You see, Timothy now is called to commit himself to the word of God. He is now called to commit the word of God itself to men who are faithful, men who are willing to teach. So now Paul calls Timothy to invest in like-minded believers intentionally. You see, this was important to Paul because as we stated last week, there were many in Ephesus who called themselves believers who were now turning away from Paul because of his faithful and bold witness for Jesus Christ. And so now Paul calls Timothy to invest in those who were there and the ones who were there to invest in them intentionally. You see, here's the truth for us today. As pastors, as elders, as teachers, we cannot simply run around and chase who is not here. As we teach and as we lead, we can't be focused on the ones who have already gone. We have to be focused on who God has brought us here and now. We have to be focused on what God is currently doing in our midst. Does it mean that we forget our history? No, we celebrate it and we praise God for our history. But let us not miss what it is that the Lord is currently doing through his local church. You see, we need to be a people who pray for those who are not with us, but yet at the same time, let us commit intentionally to one another. Let us commit to those who are now here and with us. Paul wants Timothy here to commit to the mission. Commit to the mission of spreading the gospel so that faithful men will rise up and then desire to teach others. Now pay careful attention to what's happening in our text today here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, went from a hole in the ground in Rome, from a prison where it was hard to find Paul, to now all of a sudden, here we are today reading this message as a church. Now, how on earth would that even be possible? It's possible because faithful believers practiced 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and they boldly and faithfully endured for the gospel. And because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because of the grace of God that was found in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, because of their desire to pass on the good news, they also desired to continue spreading that message to anyone and everyone who would listen. And then those who were faithful to teach it, those who were passionate about it, They then entrusted themselves to them to continue to teach the gospel so that the gospel would continue to spread day after day after day. You see, as believers in Christ, we need to be on the lookout for faithful believers. As stewards of God's word, it is our responsibility to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us, but at the same time, to then be able to pass on the gospel to someone else. This is why preaching is important. This is why singing the word of God is important. This is why teaching the word of God is important. And yes, this is why discipleship and mentoring are also important to the local body of believers. You see, we are called as believers in Christ to meet with other like-minded believers in order to be encouraged to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, sadly, sadly, this is the biggest weakness in the church today. You see, in the church today, our greatest weakness seems to be the absence of a 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 ministry. You see, we see a need for preaching We see a need for teaching, we see a need for singing, we see a need for praying the word, but yet at the same time, we fail to recognize that there's also a need for fellowship. There is a need for community. There is a need for mentoring, which comes from being invested in our local church community. And yet the reality is, even though we recognize this need, many people in the church today don't even believe that they have that need. Why do we feel this way? Because we realize that mentoring requires time. It requires vulnerability. It requires trust. It requires accepting the fact that the people who are mentoring us or the people that we may be mentoring, they will hurt us. That's the reality. And so if this is you and you feel this way and you can say, yes, pastor, that is why I don't mentor and that is also why I don't have a mentor in my life, then may I ask you these questions? What do you think Jesus Christ did when he was with the 12? You see, he poured his life into them and yes, even though one of them would betray him and yes, even though he knew it, it still did not stop Jesus Christ from investing in the 12. 
So you see, we now know how important mentoring and discipleship is to Jesus. But for a moment, have you stopped to consider the fact that the most important or the greatest thing that we could ever do as believers is to pour ourselves into the life of a future leader? Just think of what may come of mentoring one-on-one. Just think of what may come of discipleship. And, and I'm gonna put a shameless plug here. Just think of what could happen in the life of a church as believers gather, not just for the purpose of singing the word and praying the word and hearing the word preached, but imagine what life would look like as they gathered in their homes or in this season, we gathered over Zoom and we, we continue to share life together and grow together and be encouraged together through our gospel communities. Imagine the type of impact we could have for the glory of God. Now, here's the reality. This isn't just something that we can simply throw on our to-do list either. This is not another thing you put in the, in the checklist and you check it off and say, I'm done. You see, mentoring, discipleship, this requires careful observation. It requires relationship development. It requires pastoral coaching to help us discern and cultivate calling, character, and competency in the life of someone else. You see, here's the reality. If, if maybe, maybe Jesus is not a good enough example for you, and I don't know why that would be the case, maybe we need a more practical example. Well, can I share with you personally for a moment that I would not be standing before you today if it weren't for the men who invested in my life? I would not be the pastor I am today if it weren't for the men who sacrificed time and energy to spend time with me. If it weren't, men for, if it weren't for men like Algernon Tennyson and Butch Rumble and Pat Knowles and Greg Rentz and Richard Ross and Roy Fish, if it, these men taught me how to be a man of God, these men taught me how to be a faithful husband and how to be a loving and caring father, and yet each of these men willingly sacrificed their own time to allow me to do life with them so that I can learn and grow. I am indebted to these men and I intend to carry on the legacy that each of these men left with me. So you see, we now have to ask ourselves this question, who are we investing in when it comes to living out the gospel, when it comes to living for gospel endurance. This now brings us to point three of the call to live gospel endurance. We quickly see that we are called to endure for the sake of the gospel. We see this in verses three through seven. You see, in order to further his point on ministry faithfulness, Paul is now going to give Timothy and us today three powerful images to remind us of our call to gospel endurance. We'll first see in verses three and four, the, the good soldier. Now, I would imagine by the time Paul's writing this, I would imagine that Paul was pretty familiar with Roman soldiers, seeing as how he had been in prison more than once. And so Paul noted that a good soldier was known for his focus and known for his willingness to suffer. That's why he tells Timothy in verse three to share in suffering. You see, he didn't tell Timothy to get mad. He didn't tell Timothy when things get hard, it's, it's good to just quit. He didn't say to Timothy, hey, life is gonna be easy, so you don't have to worry about hardship. In fact, don't even expect hardship. Rather, Paul says to Timothy that suffering and hardship are a part of the life of every Christian. 
I mean, think about that for a moment. How many of us would love to not endure suffering? How many of us would love to not endure suffering as a believer? How many of us would love to say, Lord, if you would just turn away for a few moments and let me handle this situation like I want to in my heart, everything would get better. Even though the reality is we'd probably make it worse. I'm going to go ahead and tell you as your pastor, I've thought about this many a times. I got to tell you as a pastor, and I'm sure Corey can affirm this for me, and, and our men who are being trained and vetted as elders, they could probably affirm this as well. I would honestly love nothing more than to be the guy who gets to be on TV, who travels all over the country eating good food, and you get paid for it. What a great job that must be. I got to tell you, when I look at that life, that obviously sounds better than enduring constant criticism. It sounds better than enduring up and down giving. It sounds better than enduring reconciling marriages or the weekly pressure that comes from sermon prep only to get to a Sunday afternoon after you get done preaching and someone to call you and say, Pastor, today was an incredible day. And so you get encouraged because you think they're going to remember something you said only to hear them talk about another popular pastor they listen to online. I would rather do the other. But let's take it one step further and let's add our missionaries to this. Imagine having to do all these very same things all over the world and yet every day you live with your life threatened on the mission field as a missionary because you are living for the cause of Jesus Christ. This really sounds awful, honestly. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've thought about this, and I've actually shared this with several uh, younger pastors as they prepare to move into ministry themselves, and I've thought, hmm, I wonder how many guys I can talk out of with this wonderful message that comes from Paul. However, here's what we can read from Paul's words in verses 3 and 4. God has not called any of us to a life of ease. Rather, he has called us to a life of endurance. Paul then goes on to note in verse 4, he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, as a soldier, I imagine these soldiers had a sense of awareness that there was a war that was going on all around them. So with these soldiers, we see that there is a sense of concentration, a sense of self-denial, and a sense of disregard for things that are trivial. Now, this does not mean, as soldiers for Jesus Christ, that we should neglect our families, nor should we neglect our personal time away or even our vacations. Rather, Paul here is speaking both of a mindset and a mission. In other words, he's saying that we should not entangle ourselves with things that do not matter. And so now we have to ask ourselves, what stuff is keeping us from making disciples of all nations? I love what Augustine says here. He says, the love of worldly possessions entangles the soul and keeps it from flying to God. You see, too often we get tied up with greed. Too often we get tied up with control. Too often we get tied up with senseless controversies. Like our thoughts on a pandemic. Our thoughts on our politics. You see, if that's where we are right now, I would encourage you at this moment, can we please as believers in Christ get back to a singular passion? Can we get back to the goal and the purpose of pleasing the one true living God who enlisted us to serve him for his glory? Can we just get back to that? 
But you see, Paul's not done here. He takes us now to our second image in verse 5, and we see the image of the athlete. Now, again, as a tent maker or as a leather worker, I would imagine that Paul probably spent a lot of time around the Greek games. So to make his point about discipline, Paul would draw Timothy to the image of an athlete. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You see, like an athlete, we as believers must avoid unfair tactics. Now, that doesn't mean the enemy is not going to use unfair tactics. It just means that for us ourselves, we should not be using unfair tactics. You see, we must be willing to play by the rules and, like Paul says, to train ourselves in godliness. He said this to Timothy in the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. You see, when you think about the athlete, especially great athletes, you quickly realize that there are no shortcuts in sports. The great athletes, the legends, the Hall of Famers that we remember, those athletes lived with discipline because they realized their sport requires discipline. Their sport required them to do things the right way. You know, as someone who spent a good bit of time around athletes, particular football players, I remember spending the off-seasons in what we called our winter voluntary workout program. And this is where our football players or potential players would come to the weight room and spend time voluntarily working out. I want to assure you there was nothing voluntary about that workout. And so these athletes would show up in the weight room And we would pay attention to them as coaches because we realized that if they cut a corner, we would tell them, because you cut a corner, because you cheated that rep, we want you to know that your opponent did not cheat that rep. And that is why they are going to take you down when we get on the field. We would tell our athletes that that cheap rep is the difference between a loss and a championship. And so when it comes to athletes, here's the reality. We as fans, we enjoy their performance, but very few of us attempt their training. I'd imagine this afternoon, many of you are going to be watching the Bucks play football against that team from New Orleans that we will not mention. I know I don't cheer for your team, but we can agree that neither of us like that team in New Orleans. We're on the same page today. This will be the only day. Most of us will probably watch that game, but the reality is many of us will never even come close to attempting the type of training that these athletes do. You see, the same can be said of us as Christians today. Many people who walk around calling themselves Christians, they want the blessing of God, but they don't want to play by God's rules. Now, please don't mishear Paul here. Paul is not talking about rule keeping in order to earn salvation. That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, he's speaking to what should be the desire of every believer in Jesus Christ. You see, we should walk in godliness according to his holy word. We have a standard to live by, and that standard is given to us within the word of God. So if we want to, uh, excuse me, if we want the reward of faithfulness, then we must be willing to compete according to God's standards. You see, if an athlete can train, if an athlete can compete for trophies and the accolades of man, then how much more should we as believers train and sweat for that which is eternal? 
It should just mean more. Paul then gives us our third image in verse 6. He speaks of the hardworking farmer. Now, like athletes and soldiers, farmers can't take any shortcuts. Farmers work hard every day. And the difference between a, a farmer and an athlete or a soldier is that the farmer is not applauded by fans or civilians. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen on any channel a press conference called to talk about how great a farmer did at baling hay. But here's a good image for Timothy in ministry, and that image holds true for all of us today. You see, Christian ministry is not nor should not be glamorous. It involves sowing. It involves plowing. It involves working, and it involves monitoring. The work for believers in Christian ministry is a work that is endless. You see, the farmer rises early. The farmer works the field. The farmer cares for animals. And yes, when necessary, the farmer shoots the wolves. You see, the farmer is devoted to his work daily. Now, Paul goes on to tell us about the farmer, that the farmer should have the first share of the crops. You see, here Paul is teaching Timothy that the farmer should enjoy some of the fruit of his labor. You see, like farming for us as believers, ministry has tremendous blessing as we are able to watch people grow in their own faith. As they continue to work out their own salvation and grow in righteousness and holiness. And so ministry, slow, careful, and faithful ministry produces always because if we are faithful, we will reap what it is that we sow. We learned this from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. So here is Paul telling Timothy, telling us today to continue to work the field. Paul then closes out these images in verse 7 when he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now here again is Bible study 101 for all of us. You see, we as believers must be willing to consider God's word seriously in order to understand it. And so as believers, we cannot be lazy in our study of the word of God. We have God's word with us always. And so as a great student of scripture, in order to become a great student of scripture, we need to work hard in studying the word of God and yet at the same time maintain a heart of humility as we study God's holy word. You see, that's a part of the call of living gospel endurance, which then leads us to our fourth call. Paul teaches Timothy and us today that we are called to now remember the hero of the word of God. He says this in verses 8 through 13. You see, in order to endure, we must never lose sight of our hero. Our hero has a name, and his name is Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Now, this may seem like a no-brainer for believers today. It may seem like a no-brainer for us, but we should heed the words of John Stott when he says, the human memory is notoriously fickle. It is possible to forget even one's own name. Now, I gotta go ahead and tell you, I am living this reality every day. Not that I forget my own name, but I live in a house with four children. It takes me three times to get the name of the child correct. 
my wife lives in a house with five children. She will go through all four other names before she gets to me. And I'm okay with that because I know I'm wrong and it gives me a chance to run. We do, we are fickle, we forget. But let's also pay attention to Paul's words and John Stott's point to his word. When we look at the word of God, you see in Psalm 106, we read about how Israel forgot who their leader was. And ultimately, they found themselves on a path of unfaithfulness and a path of idolatry. You see, there are going to be times where we are going to lose sight of the mission that God has put us on. But we should never lose sight of the one whom we serve. You see, in those moments, we're going to need to keep both the person and the work of Christ central to who we are. Paul continues in verse 8, and he says of Jesus, who is risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now here Paul, in speaking of Jesus, affirms that Jesus is fully divine because he rose from the dead, and yet also was fully human because he descended from David. You see, Jesus died in the place of sinners. He died in my place, and he died in your place. You see, it was Jesus who conquered death. It was Jesus who conquered our enemies, and it is Jesus who now sits at the right hand of God. And so I know many of you know this, but let me speak to you who are here today. If your tank is running on empty, then please know and remember the tomb is empty. Please remember that the throne is now occupied. And so as believers, we can endure anything if we remember who the hero of this story is. Paul then gives us this phrase in verse 8 where he says, according to my gospel. Now Paul here is saying that this message is not a theological exercise for him. You see, Paul has now actually personally experienced the transforming power and work of Jesus Christ. You see, it is for the hero that Paul tells us in verse 9 that he is now bound with chains as a criminal. You see, Paul here shares how he is able to endure suffering because his eyes are now fixed on the hero of the story. It's why Paul tells us that even though he is bound with chains, the word of God is not bound. You see, the hero, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to keep the word advancing despite Paul's imprisonment. You see, our sovereign Lord will always make sure that his word is not bound. He will always make sure that his word is not chained. Let me give you an example. If in the next two years or the next five years or the next 10 years, all of a sudden the government starts shutting down churches, the government will never be able to shut down the word of God. It will continue. It will remain. If all of a sudden our leaders decide to turn away from the word of God, it doesn't change the word of God because the word of God will remain faithful. Because our God is faithful. We get into verse 10. And Paul says, therefore I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Now here is Paul teaching the doctrine of election. He teaches that the doctrine of election does not make 
preaching the gospel unnecessary. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Election makes preaching the gospel essential. In other words, God has ordained for people to find salvation in Christ by the means of the gospel presentation. So for some of our our more hyper type friends who say, I don't need to share the gospel because God already knows, that's a wrong way of looking at it. God does know, but we don't. And so we just assume that all are elect. And because of the assurance we have in election, we faithfully share the good news so that all may know. We get into verse 11 and 12. And here we see two pairs of sayings from Paul. These are actually general truths to Christian life. The first one relates to enduring faithfully. The second describes those who are unfaithful. In the first statement, we see that we are called to die to self and to take up our cross to follow Jesus Christ. And so here is Paul telling Timothy to lay down his comforts for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the cause of the spreading of the gospel. So as we read it, it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. You see, if we share in Christ's sufferings, then one day we will reign with him. In other words, we will be reunited with him for all eternity. Again, this has been Paul's message since the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says this throughout each of his letters. He says it simply to us. He says, hey, to live is Christ. And then when people said, yeah, but what if it costs you your life? Paul would look at them and say, yeah, and to die is gain. You see there again, there is no death for the believer. There's simply life And then there is eternal life with our Lord. But now pay attention to the second statement we see here. You see, the second statement describes the picture of what it means to deny Jesus Christ. This teaching actually echoes the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 when he says, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my father who is in heaven. You see, as faithful believers in Jesus Christ, we must not deny the Lord, nor should we ever deny who he is. And so that leads us with the question, well, what do we do with verse 13, where it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here, Paul is speaking to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. You see, by his own character, if we are unfaithful, it is Jesus who will always remain faithful. And so for the believer today, this passage should serve as both a comfort, but also a warning. You see, God's mercies through Christ are made new every morning. Even when we are faithless, even when we sin, his mercy is more because he remains faithful. However, If we remain in a persistent state of faithlessness, then God will still be faithful to do what he said he would do to those who deny him. You see, God is both faithful in his mercies, and yet it is God who is faithful to his warnings. God is both the God of mercy, and yet at the same time, he is also and still and always will be the God of justice. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we need to remember who he is. We need to remember how he alone is the hero of our story. You see, as believers in Christ, we are called to live with gospel endurance. 
In order to live that call, we must remember who the hero of the story is. We must be willing to endure uh, for the sake of the gospel. We must be willing to pass on the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we ought to live a life for the gospel. And here's the reality. It won't always be easy. We will have to do hard work. We may never receive the accolades. We may never receive the trophies or the fanfare on this side of earth, but one day when we are before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will realize that in the end, it was all worth it for eternity with our Lord. You see, our truth as believers today is we will never regret living in gospel endurance. We will never regret passing on. We will never regret suffering for the sake of the gospel as a believer. So as we move forward today, as we move forward or press into this new year, let us remember that as believers in Christ, we are called to live with gospel endurance. Let's pray together.